We are in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And today we're going to deal with um, how to deal with sin, um, even habitual sin, and how we need to have renewed minds specifically in the, in the area of how we, how we think about sin and the struggle against sin. And that's not really exactly what the passage is all about, but it relates to that. So we're going to talk about sin, salvation, the issues of position in Christ versus condition in Christ. And there's an important verse about the deity of Christ in this passage as well in Romans 8. So just a few verses here, but, but there's a lot in it. Um, remember, this is this Sunday night service. This is called thinking biblically for the reason that we're wanting to think biblically, to actually have my thoughts be biblical. Um, it's, it's a little bit broader than just saying theology. It's like, I just want to think biblically about, about all things. And here we are in Romans. Romans 8 is like this, this magnanimous moment, this big event in Romans 8, where we're pulling together ideas throughout the book of Romans, but also throughout all of the Bible and seeing how Jesus changes all this stuff for us. Romans 8 is all about solving a whole lot of problems. And so we should find it really edifying and helpful for us as we go through it. So here we are, uh, Romans 8 verse 5. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now, that word flesh, it really is, as Paul writes about it in, uh, in Romans and other places, he's talking about that sin nature. He's not just talking about physical body. We're, we're not, as Christians, we don't believe that just physical bodies are themselves evil. If that was the case, then Jesus was evil. I mean, he had a physical body. But the flesh here is talking about that sin nature. In fact, there are some translations that actually will translate, when he uses the word flesh, they'll translate it sin nature. There are certain ones who just try to make that clear. And that can be very helpful. Um, or you can just read it in context and you can piece together what, it, what it's talking about. So that's the mind on the flesh. Then there's the spirit. Those who set their minds or live according to the spirit. That spirit is talking not only about the Holy Spirit, but when you, are, when you live according to the spirit, it's about that new nature. Because Jesus said, even to his disciples, the Holy Spirit's with you, but he will be in the future. He will be in you. And it was after his death and resurrection that they began to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit in a different fashion. So this is the setting the mind on the things of the Spirit. This is, this is the life we're talking about um, versus the flesh. So we have the before saved and the after saved. The condition the, and the position before I'm in, in Christ and then after I'm in Christ. This stuff's important. You will not understand Romans 8 without these concepts in your mind. That flesh is sin, nature, sinful desires. And then spirit is spiritual desires, desires that are from God's Holy Spirit. So do they live according to the flesh? Um, that's a really interesting, in the Greek, it's, I'm not going to try to quote a bunch of Greek to you uh, tonight because um, I find that's not too, too helpful. And guys that quote too much Greek, I feel like they're just trying to show off. I knew one guy who was like, I'm going to teach at least one new Greek word every Bible study when I teach. And I was just like, Why? <laughs> Like, why? Like, I live in California. It'd be more efficient if you just taught me a Spanish word every time. Um, then I, that'd be more useful to me than the Greek. But, but I will go through one today. So, um, for those who live according to the flesh, is this talking about position or condition? Do I live as in I exist, my life is according to the flesh, meaning I'm unsaved? Or does it mean I act according to the flesh, meaning I, I live with sinful actions in my life? One is the position, I'm in Christ or I'm in the flesh. The other is a, a, a condition. What is my life like? I, I, I live like a Christian or I live like an unsaved person. 
So you understand the difference between position and condition is actually really important here. Because the debate we have, that Christianity has really with everybody else, is do I go from position to condition or do I go from condition to position? Let me explain. Let me explain. This is, I'm going to simplify a really complicated thing. It's really easy. If I have to earn my salvation, then I have to go from a condition, behavior of goodness, to a position of salvation. You see, I went from condition to position. That's a works-based righteousness. But if I'm going to go from position to condition, if I'm going to get saved, and then as a result of the change that God brings in my life, then I'll live out good works naturally. Now I went from position to condition. Am I saved by grace or am I saved through works? Do I perform it on my own or is it a gift of God? That's, that's the ultimate question. And Romans is making it very clear here, and you'll see as we go through these verses, that it's from position we go into our condition. I live out, I'm saved, and then I live it out. That's the point. Um, so this word actually translated live according to the flesh is really just, just live according to is just one word. It's ontis. And it's a Greek word that just means exist. It's a word used for existence. I, those who, that's why some would translate it, those who simply are according to the flesh. So the word there is not life, as in the way you live your life. It's, it's, a, it's a position word. You exist according to the flesh. So that's, that's how you could think of this. For those who exist according to the flesh, their very nature is just fleshly. They're just carnal. They're unsaved. They will, as a result, set their minds on the things of the flesh. They'll set their minds on the things of the flesh. They'll, they'll live an unsaved life. And because they're unsaved, they'll be in bondage to sin. They'll be, they'll st- they're still stuck in Romans 6 before being married to the new husband, Christ. And I, what I want to do tonight is I want to bring in some other scriptures. So let me take this idea of position, condition, and let's think about that as we go to Ephesians chapter 2. So turn to Ephesians 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 and get this idea that those who exist according to the flesh, they have the unsaved state of life. They're children of wrath, according to the scripture. And here it is in Ephesians 2, kind of a parallel passage. Paul's bringing all these thoughts together in Romans 8. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So our nature was children of wrath, so we lived it out. We lived out in in carnality and in sinfulness. So it was just natural. Paul has been describing this throughout the book of Romans, right? In chapter 1, he's like, yeah, everybody's sin. Look at at how bad they are. And in chapter 2, he's like, hey, you too. You religious people, you too. And then he gets into it, chapter 3, he's like, yep, that's the whole world, everybody, all, all of sin and fallen short of God's glory. And then he keeps going. In chapter 6, he talks about how man is enslaved to sin. And then in chapter 7, he talks about how even the believer is going to struggle with sin. But in chapter 8, he's talking about the deliverance, the solution to all these problems. If you literally read through Romans and just thought, every time I see a problem, every time I see it talking about a problem of mankind, I'll underline it. When you hit 1 through 7, chapters 1 through 7, you'll have a lot of underlining. But when you go chapters 8 through 16, all of a sudden you're not underlining very much. Because this is the pivot point, right? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I thank my God through Jesus Christ, you know, because he's delivering me from these things. He's saving us. So, 
So let's read verse 5 again, Romans 8, 5. It says, For those who live or who exist, who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's the natural thing that they do because of who they are. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Ah, but now let's flip, let's flip the coin over. If there's those who are stuck in sin because of their sinful nature, then there are those who are, in a sense, stuck in righteousness because of their new nature. They simply naturally play it out. They naturally live out a new way of living. This is the answer to Romans 1 through 7 here is in Romans 8. Your mind, your thoughts, are unable to follow God and his will when you're unsaved. And then you're saved. Now the Holy Spirit's in you. It's a real change, a real transformation. And so you now have a new entity impressing upon you good vibes, so to speak. I mean, I, I hate to use the word vibes, but, but good thoughts, good ideas, good, good desires even that are coming from God's Holy Spirit. That's the connection. That's the interplay. The mind before, unable to follow God because of the flesh, but the mind after being born again has a new influence, the Holy Spirit. So those who are set on the flesh, on sin, that's unsaved, but the Christian is described as being what? Set on the things of the Spirit. I'm, I am on the things of the Spirit. This is supposed to be the normal Christian life. I say supposed to. <laughs> it's supposed to be normal that I am just going to serve God. I'm focused upon God. That love is a true, important thing to me because of the work of the Spirit in my life. That, that God's Word is something I just naturally love. You just find that you just, of course I'm drawn to God's Word, man. Because I have the Spirit in me. Of course I want to live these things out in my life. I think this is, this is interesting. It's, it's as natural as sin is to the sinner, it should be so natural for Christians to walk in righteousness. I think that we live in a time and culture where at least I could say this in, in our milieu, in our like Southern California life, we have taken righteousness and we've given it a back seat. We've not made it a great priority because we were afraid people would think we meant you had to do this to get saved. But we should elevate righteousness, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we say, no, God wants some people who are zealous for good works, like it says in Titus. He wants us to be like, have zeal for good works, not for, be, for salvation, but because of salvation. So we should be excited about these things. But I should say this, um, uh, th- this, this natural zeal for good works, this natural love for God and even love for other people, ability to forgive, these types of things, this has come in my life. I've seen it. I've looked at my life and I go, yep, there was a real change. This mattered to me when I looked back years after getting saved and said, wow, my life really did change. My attitude really did change. My, my desires for righteousness really have changed. But I have to admit, it's not without wrinkles. <laughs> and it was not all instantaneous and perfect. In fact, there's some things it seems most believers will say, I came to Christ and there's certain like sin or temptations that just poof, gone, just gone. I have no issue at all. But then there's other ones that they could be like, but this is not gone. This is not a struggle that I no longer have to face. I'm dealing with this still. So it's not without wrinkles. Not at all without wrinkles. We have the Holy Spirit in us, but we also have the flesh still with us. And so there's a battle there. So Ephesians, turn to Ephesians again. We'll be going to Ephesians a couple times. Um, And Philippians and Galatians and Genesis and stuff. So uh, Ephesians 4.22. This is super important with this in mind, right? Before salvation, mind is set on the flesh. After salvation, the mind can be set upon the spirit, and that's a natural thing. But we're still required to 
like yield to this thing. And so Ephesians 4.22, it says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the, to the deceitful lusts. Who's the old man? Well, that's that, that child of wrath that was set upon the flesh, sinful desires. That was me. That was the old person. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And think about this. This is writing to Christians that Christians, even though they have the Holy Spirit, they still need their minds to be renewed. Even though they have the Holy Spirit, they have to put off the old man and put on the new. So be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's still a battle. You're not, gonna be, you're not walking around like, I'm sinlessly perfect. I float on clouds of grace and fly with halos of righteousness and, you know, and there's healing under my wings. Like, no, that, that's not you. <laughs> We're not describing you here. Um, for me, no, it's, I have wickedness and righteousness right here, right here at the same time. Before, I didn't have the righteousness part. <laughs> and now I have both. Um, but I can choose to yield. Now, now, this, I think, should affect Christian psychologists. When they're sitting there and they're getting counsel or giving counsel to someone, they're hearing their story and they're hearing them talk about their marriage and the battle that's going on, their struggle at work, their issues with this or that, that this should affect them. They should be thinking, am I hearing things that are coming from the old man or the new man? Is that desire you're battling from the old man or the new man? And then encouraging counsel people to walk in the new man, to put off the old. And I think that that should impact us and affect us because we want to think biblically about all things. Do you do this? This is my challenge to you. Do you do this? Do you feel the desires for whatever come up within you and ask yourself, is this the old or the new? Is this of the spirit or of the flesh? That should just be a normal Christian thing that we do on a regular basis if we're going to think biblically about our own desires. So it should be our focus. Like walking in the spirit, not in the flesh. Um, now I want to say though, as a, as a younger believer, I focused on walking not in the flesh. I focused on putting off the old man, but I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to putting on the new man. Not that I didn't read it. I just didn't pay attention. Maybe you've done that. <laughs> and I, I focused on do not do the works of the flesh, right? You know, fornication, lasciviousness, because that was the version I was reading at the time. I was like, lascivious. I had to look it up. Oh, it means wantonness. Thank you. That really helped. Um, <laughs> Yeah, But I, I focused on, on putting off the things of the flesh, but that's, that's only half the thing. That's only half the issue. That's only half the problem. I, I need to focus on walking in the Spirit. This is just daily practical Christian stuff. To walk in love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Like, Think about this. It's like getting a song stuck in your head. This happens to me a lot. For some reason, I always have Scooby-Doo in my head. Like, all the time. Scooby-Dooby-Doo. And I, and I get it in my brain and I'm, I'm kind of like bothered. Like, why is this song in my head? Like, what happened to me as a child that forced this song to play? But you can't get rid of a song in your head by thinking about the song. I have to put off Scooby-Doo. I have to put off Scooby-Doo. That's only half the equation. What I need to do is put on a better song. So I put on the song that never ends. Because it goes on and on, my friends. Okay, now that would be worse instead of better. But what you do is you take another song, put it in your head, and all of a sudden the other one's gone. In our fight against sin, we must not focus just on the thing we're getting rid of. We need to focus on what we're replacing it with. And this really will make a practical difference in our battle with temptation. It goes like this. I'm standing at the bank. I'm thinking, I could rob this place. Some people do that around this place. I'm driving home. I'm thinking, I wish I had that car. 
I wish I could afford that car. That's a nice car. I get home, I pull into my driveway, and I'm like, man, we should have a better house. We really need a better house. And I realize that materialism is, is pulling up within me. So put off that materialism of the flesh. And what am I going to put on instead? You know what? I'm going to give something away. I'm just going to give something away, Lord. I'm going to find something and give it to somebody else. I'm going to stop and I'm just going to be thankful for what's got. I'm just going to make a list in my prayer closet right now. God, thank you. Thank you that I even have a home. There are people that don't have half of what I've got. I'm so grateful for what I've got. Thank you. Thank you that I have a car that works even a little bit. Thank you for, for the fact that my arms and legs are working. And you start putting on gratitude. So you can't just be like, oh, i got to stop your materialism. You've got to actually move into the other realm, so to speak. That's really important. Walking in the Spirit. In fact, Galatians puts it this way. It says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Wait, back that up? How will I not fulfill the lusts of the flesh? By walking in the Spirit. Yes, yes. put a different song in there, so to speak. Um, Philippians gives it to us too. Think about this passage of Philippians in context of everything I just said. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, good news, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. It's about what we do occupy our hearts and minds with. And I think if more of us took Philippians 4.8 seriously, we wouldn't be complaining about stress nearly as much. So as we read on uh, Romans 8, 6, it says here, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Life and peace. So carnal or fleshly, it's the same thing. We're thinking of the word carne, right? We're talking like steak here. We're talking about flesh or what's carnal. Uh, so carnally minded would be the, the mind that is thinking about the, the desires of the flesh. That's what's occupying my mind. Is, is the desires of the flesh. It's death. It is death. Notice this. It doesn't say it brings death. Let's be careful in our Bible study. The, to be carnally minded is death. Not it results in death. Not later on you die. No, that's death. That's interesting, isn't it? Now it's true that the carnal mind, the mind set on the flesh, will end up getting death and getting the second death. But it also is death now. It's an ongoing experience of death. And this, I think, relates to Genesis. As we try to pull together a whole bunch of different biblical concepts here in Romans 8, God said to Adam and Eve, the day you eat of it, well, he said it to Adam in particular, the day you eat of it, you will die. Well, did they die right away? Well, yeah. They died right away and they died later. Death is more than just dying, just like life is more than just living. We, we, we get a sense of this when we talk about, now this is the life. What we don't mean is, I'm breathing and my metabolism is functioning. Like, this is not what we mean when we say this is the life. What we mean is that this is like what life is supposed to be. Man, this is, there's something about what life like, can be, the potential of what life is, and oh, this is, this is it. But there are those who are walking around who are living out death even right now, and it's the carnally minded. It's those who are focused upon the flesh. They're living a death as they go through their lives. That's why it says in Ephesians 4.18, about the unsaved, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So are they physically dead? No. But they're alienated from the life of God, the life of God. Jesus comes, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
this is what life is supposed to be. This is the potential of life. And it just, and it, it starts now and it increases and grows on for eternity. So life is not mere existence. And death is not merely not existing or not breathing anymore. Um, so th- those who are under the sway of the flesh, they are, it's death. Carn- to be carnal minded is death. That's death. But the flip side of that then is given. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It's life and peace. It's life in your heart, in your mind. Have you been there? Have you had it where your, your, your life around you, things are falling apart? You know, the job is down. The health is bad. You've heard bad news. But, you're, but there's something about the glory and goodness of Christ where you could say, I'm good though. I'm good. Because I have life. I've got the Lord. Have you had that? Like, that's what to be spiritually minded is. It's life, and it's also peace. And peace, I think, is very underrated. It's a very underrated thing, peace. People want action and excitement, but I'll take peace any day over excitement. There's two sides of this. There's peace with God. The scripture talks about this, Romans 5.1. It said this a couple chapters back. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I have peace with God, like we're not at war anymore. I'm not under God's wrath. There's no more wrath for me. Thank you, God. But there's also what the Bible calls the peace of God. Not the peace with God, but the peace of God. Philippians 4, 7, it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. That's different. That's talking about like an inner experience of peace. This is connected to the idea of life and peace. And I think that's the focus that it's talking about being spiritually minded. It's it's peace. Now, you know what not being in peace is like. But it seems to me that we got to let the Bible be the Bible here and tell us that perhaps, maybe even a large number of us, are not walking in the peace and life that is being talked about in this passage. And here, this is not meant to be cond- condemnation. This is good news. There's a lot more peace, maybe, in Christ than you have yet accessed. Then maybe you are accessing at this moment. To just rest in him. To just trust him with whatever is coming. To just know that all your job is is to abide in Christ and you'll bear much fruit. That you can just just give it to him and trust him. I have had issues in my life where you're stressed out, I'm, I'm bothered, I want to throw in the towel for whatever reasons, and I just stop, pull over the car, and just pray for like two minutes. And all of a sudden I just have peace. That's, that's the peace of God. That's what that is. And that's something that, that we want to have, but you've got to be spiritually minded. And, and, and as a Christian, even, if you, if you move towards the carnal mind, you're going to experience this lack of peace. And it might be a red flag that goes up that says, maybe my mind is not focused upon the Lord. Maybe I'm not focused on the, the spirit, and maybe I'm leaning towards the flesh. Because um, some people move away. Although new believers, they tend to know about this peace of God stuff. Right? They, right away, they know it. But, you know, we start to, like, bring other things in. I mean, look at the letters in Revelation. The seven letters to the seven churches, they moved away, a lot of them. They really started drifting and started adding things into their lives that God didn't want, started ignoring things that were really important. So it's possible that I can move away too. And the, the, the advice is this. I think how every letter in Revelation ends the same way. He tells them what to do about it. He never, he's, he's like a doctor that always has a solution. Comes in and tells you, yep, oh yeah, your eyeball's out on the ground there. 
But that's okay. I got to take two of these pills and you'll be fine. I mean, there's always a solution of some kind when it comes to the Lord in our lives. He's like, look, oh yeah, this is all falling apart, but yet there is hope. There is a direction to move in. And so if you tonight, if you're thinking, okay, Lord, I know I'm lacking peace, then do something about it. Well, what do I do? You need to have a spiritual mind. Put your mind upon the spirit. And how do I keep it there? Well, as the carnal things come into your mind or heart, put them off and put on the new man and you'll be renewed in your mind. That's good. That's good stuff. I need this. I want this. And we, ha- and we can have this in Christ. I think Romans 8 is, is going to, as we continue through it, it's going to show us that the Christian life is possibly better than you have yet realized. Or maybe as good as you once knew. <laughs> and maybe perhaps had forgotten. And so um, let's read on. Romans 8, 7, it says, Because the carnal mind, that's the mindset upon the desires of the flesh, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The carnal mind is the unsaved mind. It is, it is enmity, enmity. Again, there's, there's a good vocabulary word for you, enmity. It just means hatred. It's hatred against God. It's, a, it's, it's God, I despise you. But wait a minute. There are plenty of people out there who don't purposely despise God at all. In fact, some people who think that their lives are fine with God. I'm cool with God and God's cool with me. We have an agreement. I came up with it in my imagination. So I'm cool with him and he's cool with me. Uh, I made a deal with the big guy in the sky. You know, he leaves me alone and I leave him alone. <laughs> like that kind of thing. I'm actually quoting somebody when I say that. that I, but I won't say who. But, um, but yes. So how can my sin, like say I'm an unbeliever and I'm sitting in on this study. And, you're, and I'm like, okay, Mike, fine. I'm with you. Oh, spirit and all this, all this stuff. Okay, fine. How is it though that my sin, like I sleep with, I sleep with my girlfriend. Like how am I hating God? That has nothing to do with God. Oh, I, I, I take his name in vain. Okay, I can get that personal. <laughs> okay? But like, I, I lie to this guy. Well, that guy's a jerk. He deserves it. How is this against God? The issue is this. Sin is against God. Every sin is against God because God is holy. He's the foundation of morality itself. He's the very definition of goodness. And so when I do what is evil, I'm hating him. When I choose what's wrong over what's right, it's a personal offense against God. It's against his very self. And I think that any minimizing of sin is a really bad thing. In, in counseling, there's, there's three things we look for and we try to, we try to call people out on in a loving way. Um, one is minimizing, one is denying, and one is blaming. Three particular issues, right? Minimizing, minimizing is when I take the sin or the issue I've done, like, and I make it smaller. Well, yeah, I, I cheated, but it was just, you know, it didn't really matter. <laughs> right, you know, or, you know, I try, to, I try to shrink it down. I stole, but I stole from a big corporation, and they got way too much money anyways. Right, I, I try to minimize the issue. Denying is the second one. Denying is where I just go, ah, no, I didn't really do that. I, I lie about it, lie about it, lie about it, lie about it. Um, and there are, there are many who do, who do this as well, of course, right? Uh, and many of us are guilty of doing this at different times as well. Denying. And we can deny to ourselves too. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And you're thinking like, but it's not really. And it's a, just a denial. I'll just lie about it. And the final one is blaming. Is blaming. Now, this is what we see in the Garden of Eden. Right after the eating of the fruit, we see the blame thrower comes out. <laughs> right, and Adam he manages to blame everybody, 
when he says to God, well, God, this woman that you gave me. I can blame both of them in one sentence, right? It's, it's God and the woman's fault, right? This woman that you gave me, she gave to me. And, I, and he looks at Eve and he's like, well, the serpent <laughs> deceived me. And the serpent knew better. He just like didn't say anything because he knew. Blame is when I basically don't want to take accountability for my side of the issue, for what I've done. Maybe I was only 10% guilty out of the 90% that belonged to somebody else, but I was just 10. But I was 10. You know, that was, that was this is my issue. This is where I went wrong. I should be held accountable for this. I should deal with it. In marriage, this is a big deal, right? To be able to come up and say, yeah, I was wrong, at least in this part. But you don't want to because you feel like the other person was wrong in that other thing. Well, um, good luck with that. You know, <laughs> good luck with that. There's so many times where things go wrong because all it takes is one person to say, I'll just apologize for at least what I did wrong. You're not lying about it. You're not pretending to be wrong when you're not. You just deal with your side of the issue. That's good marriage advice. But it also works with God. God's like, just deal with it. Sin is hatred against God, and you got to deal with it. It's a, it's, a, it's a mindset of animosity to God. And so it's death now, and it's ultimately death later. And that's why the mindset, the person who's in the flesh, it says, really strong words, verse 7 and 8, they cannot be subject to the law of God. They can't follow God's moral truth. They can't live a truly good life. There is no truly good person. Truly, truly good. Fully good. That person does not exist. And it says that they cannot, cannot please God. It's an inability to live a holy life, an inability to be pleasing to God, because every sin is a personal offense against him. So, here's my question. I have Calvinist friends, and they would point to this and be like, Mike, you know, that's total depravity. I mean, cannot be subject to the law of God. Cannot please God. And I would say, yes, it is depravity. But is it total depravity? <laughs> Let me explain. Here's where I, I would say this passage so far in Romans 8. We don't have total depravity, and here's why. Total depravity ultimately says you can't even say yes to the gospel. It doesn't say you can't um, ever do anything good, it, but it specifically says you can't say yes to the gospel, meaning that this person who I can't please God, I can't live a holy life. But total depravity doesn't say you can't live a holy life. It says if someone came preaching the gospel to you, you could not say yes. And this is why within the doctrines of Calvinism, the belief of Calvinism is, and there are brothers and sisters, so I say this just to be clear about where we disagree, but there's no, uh, there should be no division between us and Calvinists. Um, but on the area of disagreement, they believe that regeneration and, and, and uh, belief happen in reverse order from what most of us here in this room would believe. So we believe that you, you put your faith in Christ. I believe the gospel. I say yes to the gospel. I receive Christ. Then I'm regenerated. I'm born again. I get that positional change. And now I live it out. They would say, no, no, no. You've got the cart before the horse. Because you're totally depraved. You can't even say yes to the gospel. So what happens is the Holy Spirit comes in and just regenerates you. You get saved. You get born again. And then you can't help but believe. Because you have a new, a new spirit. So you see how the, this is where originally I got lost on Calvinism. I was like, okay, I was listening to you. I kind of heard you, but you lost me when you said regeneration came before before belief. I just don't see that biblically personally. Um, but so I would say this passage, if you wanted to use it for total depravity, that one of the doctrines of Calvinism, it, it's only saying a person can't live a holy life, can't live a life pleasing to God. It's not going beyond that to say they can't even say yes to the gospel message. Um, if a guy... A guy can't, can't avoid falling in a hole. It doesn't mean he can't say yes when someone offers him to pull him out. <laughs> These are two different issues. Um, so now this is not only a, dec a declaration from Paul. It's a conclusion. 
from a bunch of stuff he's gone through, but it's also a conclusion about himself. Paul's like, me and my flesh, I can't please God. And he knows it. And this is where I think people get it. When they think, well, I think there's good people out there somewhere. They're truly good people. Yes, but are you one? Well, no, not me. Because we know we're not. We know we're not. And anybody you know sufficiently, you know is not good. And God ultimately knows us completely. It's only by God's spirit that I can serve God. Only by the spirit. Now, if it's only by the spirit I can serve God, isn't it also true that by the spirit I can serve God? That when Jesus pulls me out of this pit, he enables me to actually live a holy life before Christ? I'm not talking about sinless perfectionism. I'm just talking about living out the righteousness that God has enabled me to to, to walk in. I can actually not sin in whatever given area. And some of us will fight, some of us, all of us will fight with habitual sin and temptations where you feel like you're in bondage. But I'm telling you, the scriptures in Romans are telling you, you are free. You are free. And you've got to think biblically about this by realizing you really don't have to yield to that temptation. You really don't. You are free. You are free. And there's been times where you felt super tempted and you just didn't yield. So you know it. You know that you're not, you're not, in, you're not enslaved to this thing anymore. You just need to put off the old man and put on the new walk in the spirit and you will walk in freedom of these things. Remember this though when you're witnessing to people. Remember this is we're sharing the gospel. This is why we don't expect people to get cleaned up in their lives before they come to Christ. This is why we invite anybody to come to our fellowship, no matter how just smelly you are, or because, I mean, <laughs> some of us are smelly too. But, you know, no matter what's wrong with your life, sin-wise, sin we don't care. Because we just want you to hear the gospel, be able to receive Christ, and then we expect the change to come naturally as God's spirit works within you. Um, I have a friend who, he came forward to get saved at a, uh, at a, a um, uh, I was going to say a revival, but they would call it a crusade, right? Uh, an event where they were sharing the gospel, and he comes forward to get saved. He's, he was in his late teens, I think it was. And he walks up there, and he's like, I want to get saved. He's like, I want to believe in Jesus. And the guy, the counselor who was going to pray with him, looked at him and said, all right, I'm going to pray with you, but first you've got to take out your earrings. <laughs> and he was like, What? You got to take out your earrings, man. And he was like, forget this. And he turned around and left. Now, I mean, if you had to take out your earrings to get saved, it would be insane to say no, right? I mean, like, it's just, I'm just saying, it's insane to say no. But we all know there was something seriously wrong with the idea, first off, that God even cares about your earrings. Second off, that we expect people to fix things in their lives before they say yes to Jesus. No, we're just, no, man, you're going to naturally go off. I mean, like, you're not going to walk in and be like, you know what, now that I'm saved, I'm just getting rid of these. And nobody cares about the earrings, right? This is it's not a sin issue. This was the counselor issue is what it was. Um, but, you know, church runs on volunteers, so, <laughs> so sometimes that happens. But, but yeah, we don't expect people to get saved first. And so I would, I would not think, you know what, my friend doesn't want the gospel, but I can just try to help them clean up their lives. If I can just get their lives cleaned up. And you're like, it's never going to happen. They're never really going to get cleaned up before God. You may get it better than it was. And that's good, but... It's not ultimately going to work. So we treat the saved and the unsaved differently. Now, this is made evident in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So let me read this to you. This is an interesting passage. It kind of relates to what we're talking about. For He says, Paul says, For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? He's, what he's saying is, What authority do I want to claim as a church leader, as an apostle? I, I'm not going to claim any authority over the, over the world, over those who are outside. Do you not judge those who are inside? And he flips it over, right? Like, but aren't you going to deal with 
church discipline and deal with people in the congregation that are doing wrong things, you should deal with this stuff. Then he says, but those who are outside, God judges, therefore put away from yourself the evil person. So if there was someone who is in great, grievous sin and they're unrepentant, they won't repent after multiple times of the church graciously coming and calling them to repentance, that they're to actually be kicked out of the church. Kicked out of, while we're inviting unbelievers to come with all their sin issues, yet there are times where believers are asked to leave because you, you claim to follow Christ and we have to judge the church, so we're going to say you have to leave. And we want them to return. We want them to come back as soon as we're able to. So church authority is a real thing. Church authority is a real thing. And church discipline is required by scripture and expected by God. But based on the passages that talk about church discipline, we don't see it expanding beyond the church. Think about this. I don't expect the church to be judging the world. I don't expect the church to walk up to people in the world and be like, you know, you need to change this or else, you know, you name it. You name it. That, that the church government is a spiritual government. It's not meant to be a political government. It's not meant to say we're Christians and we'll extend our rule over other people. Paul's response to the idea of this, of, of like some sort of Christian version of Sharia law, Paul's response to that would be, what do I have to do with judging those who are outside? What have I got to do with this? This is just about believers. You say, I'm a Christian. I'm part of the church. All right. As part of the church, there is an authority structure. There is such a thing as church discipline. So uh, let's, let's keep going. Romans uh, 8 verse 9. It says, But you, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. This and the next two verses, verses 10 and 11, are going to assure us that Paul is talking about positional truths, not conditional truths, or a result of your salvation not how you get saved. If you're in the spirit, then you're not in the flesh. If you're in the flesh, it's like a positional thing. So you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Um, So if God's spirit dwells in me, this is saying that believers, Christians, we're literally vessels of the Holy Spirit. We're literally living out God's, God Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, living in, with us, in us. And you think you can't overcome sin? And you think you're in bondage to this thing? You need to, you need to start with your position and realize that it affects your condition and, and it can over, you can overpower and overcome these things. You just die to it and walk in the spirit. This is, this is amazing. Now, now think about this. If disobedience to God is a personal offense to him, if sin is personally offensive to him, what do you think righteousness is like? I think that when Christians choose to walk in righteousness and do what's right instead of what's wrong, it's like saying, I love you to God. It's like walking out love to God. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. That obedience to his commands is an act of love to him. That when I choose the right thing instead of the wrong thing and I choose to walk in the spirit, I'm actually doing a personal thing of obedience and love to God. I think that's really neat. Now, in verse 9 there, there is actually a really, really important, super crucial theological point that you may have missed, and most people do. In verse 9. It's about Jesus and it's about who he is. Now let me read it to you again and I'll I'll, I'll emphasize certain words and see if it jumps out to you. But But you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ he is not his. Wait. Is the spirit of God the spirit of Christ? 
these two are interchangeable. They're used synonymously. That if I'm in Christ, I have his spirit, the spirit of Christ. But what about the spirit of God? Yes, that's the spirit of God. It's the same spirit. So that's an important theological point. You know, you, I like these verses that kind of, sometimes it, it's taught in a broader fashion. Sometimes it's just one little spot. And it's nice to have those little verses. So Romans 8, 9, it's about the, the deity of Christ. But there's a, there's a if here. If, 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 you see how it comes up over and over again? If, indeed, the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So, but what do I do if I say I'm a Christian and I'm not living it out? Like, it, it's not so black and white as verse 9. And I claim to know Christ and I claim to be a Christian, but I'm just totally not living it out. I don't mean that I struggle with temptation like every believer does. I mean, I'm not living it out. I'm not living like a believer. I'm living like an unbeliever. What does that mean? To me, I think biblically, this puts a big question mark over your salvation. But Mike, I'm saved by grace. True. But grace does something. And God's spirit in you does something. So you live according to the thing in which you you live according to. You know? So if you're living by God's spirit, you're going to live it out. Personally, I don't try to resolve this issue. I don't try to decide if someone's saved or not based on their lives. But if they move into this gray area, I treat them as though their salvation is in question. I can't have confidence that they're saved, and I think this is how we should do it. I think this is how scripture does it. I think it puts people in this little gray area where they go, I don't know if I'm saved because I don't see any fruit. Okay, well, maybe you're not. So what should you do about it? I should work harder. No, that's not how you get saved. You should get on your knees before God, and you should ask for true salvation in Christ right now. And then live it out. That's the only solution there can be. It's the only solution. But there's a balance here. I can't look at someone who's not like following Jesus very well and just assume they're not saved either because I don't know. And there is such a thing as carnal believers or believers who are living sinful lives to at least some extent. Well, let me read to you. First Corinthians chapter three talks about this. It says in verses one through four, and I brethren could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. He has to talk to them like they're dealing, struggling with sins and they're, they're weak in the flesh. He has to talk to them like they're babes in Christ. Now that's interesting. That means that to Paul, a babe, a babe in Christ, a baby Christian, is going to be struggling with some leftover sin issues of the flesh. It's not like an immediate transformation of every aspect of the life. It's a transformation of the, of the inner self that slowly results in a transformation of the outer self. So that's interesting. There's a case there for the idea that, oh, they're just a baby Christian. Just give them time. Because you know the Holy Spirit just starts working on them and the things start changing. Um, he says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. He says this to Christians. You're still carnal. You're still like baby Christians. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men, as in not with the Holy Spirit? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? So let me ask you, in Paul's opinion, was there such a thing as a carnal Christian? I think so. I mean, it's in, the, it's in the text. It's right there. So I would not look at a carnal Christian and say, you're clearly unsaved. Because they profess Christ and they claim Christ. And maybe they even have a testimony of salvation. I'm just not sure. You know why? Because Jesus also told a parable about there being tares amongst the wheat. Fakers amongst the true. And so I just don't know. It just puts this question mark over someone's head. I don't know if they're really saved. To me, that's terrifying. 
And so I will, I will counsel them to turn their hearts and lives to Christ. I will encourage them to walk in the fullness of salvation. And the truth is that people in the past who lived this way and then, and then came out of it and walked in the fullness of Christ, they themselves look back and they say things like, I'm not really sure when I got saved. <laughs> because I don't know if I was really, when was I walking with the Lord? I was so carnal. Like, looking back, I can't even tell. And my thought is, me either, but you are now. So that's not, you know, like, praise God, now you're walking with the Lord. Now we see the faith and the fruit, so we have confirmation. Um, so I think that's a good thing. Um, verse, verse 10, it says, And if, if Christ is in you, the body's dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. The spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, this, your, your eternal life here is maintained by the righteousness of the Holy Spirit. Your life... The righteousness required for life comes from the Holy Spirit, not from yourself. That's, that's, um, this is all consistent with the whole Old Testament about the idea of dead because of sin, but life because of righteousness. So in what way for you as a Christian is the body dead because of sin? Well, it seems to me that death has a whole lot of angles to it. It's, it's like I said, it's, it, you know, if, if someone stops breathing, they died. But if someone eat, you know, eats of the fruit, they die. If someone has a carnal mind, that's death. Then there's the second death, so it's obviously multifaceted. But in what, what way, for you as a Christian, is your body dead because of sin? Well, it's in two ways. One, I have that death sentence upon me of, of sin and death, but also there's something else. I am to reckon the old man dead. Remember Romans 6. I'm to consider that body and the carnal desires with it as dead to me and myself alive to the Holy Spirit. Like Paul says in Galatians, for I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That this is a positional reality that I live out in my life. And that's kind of the point. That's what I want to kind of end on tonight. Is that God wants to empower you to live the Christian life simply by his spirit, not by the, the works of your own flesh. And all you have to do is set your mind upon the spirit and walk in it, and you will experience more and more of this. Because it's quite possible that maybe some of us are still carnal in some ways. Or maybe we weren't before, and now we are. Maybe we've backslidden into it. But there is a spiritual mind and mindset that as Christians, God's calling us to have, like, I think every moment of every day. It's not the kind of, like, spirituality where we, like, stand there and kind of, like, hold our noses up above people. You know? We're like, like, the teacher's got to wear a robe. Like, nothing's wrong with robes if you want. I don't care. But the point is, it's not about that. that. It doesn't mean anything. Like, you know what the robe means. It just means you can, like, hide shotguns more easily. Like, I don't really know what it means. Like, it doesn't mean anything. But it's a kind of thing where it, the, the obsession of my mind, the focus of my desires is upon the things of the Holy Spirit and the things that God wants. This is the thing. This is where we go from just theology to, like, living it out in our lives. That's what Romans 8 is largely about. It's not just the theology, but it's how we play it out in our lives. So let's end with verse 11. It says here, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if you are saved, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, if sin equals death, then him giving me life means me living in righteousness. Not maybe sinless perfection. I'm not preaching any of that. But let's not compromise the facts that we can walk in a righteous life in our lives. And we are, we in California... We are surrounded by so much compromise that I feel like each of us on our own has to come before God and say, you know what, Lord, I want to live a holy life, even if nobody else does. So help me to live this out. 
Not so that I could become the judge and discerner of everybody else and their intentions, but just so that I can walk close with Jesus, so I can abide in Christ, so I cannot carry the compromises of the last generation into the next generation. I just want to follow Jesus. I want to live this out. And, and then what will be amazing is the areas where, where you're especially good at, that's going to inspire me. And the things that I'm better at, I'm going to inspire you. And we'll lift each other up. And the body will become more and more of that bride of Christ, spotless like we're supposed to be. Um, so I, I think Romans 8 is giving us a, a, a fresh way of thinking about issues like sin and righteousness to overcome these battles and to do it from a positional place instead of a performance thing. Let's pray. Um, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you because it confronts our minds and, and is renewing us even now as we hear it. Our prayer tonight is this, Lord, we want to walk in the Spirit and we want to have our minds set upon the things of the Spirit to set aside the flesh, not to obsess over it, not to, not to sit and have pro- prolonged battles with it, but just to set aside the flesh, to walk in the Spirit. Lord, let us be a people who walk in the, the righteousness that you've given us, who overcome temptations and sin and who know the power of Christ in us. In Jesus' name, amen.